Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. We are bringing you episode 140 today. That is wild. 140. A lot of episodes of this show, but going to be another good one today. We got Dallas Allen calling in a little bit. Jack and I will be leading the way and uh, should be a fun conversation. So this is the Pipe It Up podcast. Cue the intro. Jack, it's only right if I start off this episode with another classic embarrassing story, huh? Oh, absolutely. I don't think there is anything more right in the world, Tommy. I feel like I need to have more like feel-good wins for myself type stories rather than like my public embarrassment, but <laughs> I feel like <laughs> it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a real pipe it up episode if we didn't have an embarrassing story from you. So, it's I, only right. I kind of agree. I kind of agree, but uh as you all know listening at home, if you've been tuning in week after week, um, you'll know that Kyle and I recently moved into our own little rental home. It's kind of a, kind of our MLW laboratory, as Jack coined it a few weeks back when we had Kyle on as our guest. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty settled in, right? I feel like I moved a lot of our stuff, a lot of my stuff at least, like all within a 48-hour span. Then it was kind of just getting organized for a day or so after that. But for the most part, like, we have furniture, we have the essentials, food, groceries, all that kind of stuff in the house. But of course there's like those one or two things that when you don't realize you don't have it until you need oh, it. Yeah. Right. Like for example, um, when I first bought, like I had bread and then I lost a twist tie for my bread and I was like, oh, I don't have any twist ties here. So we had to start collecting twist ties for breads, like little things like that. Right. That you forget when you're completely moving into an unfurnished home. So that can be unfortunate at times. And that's kind of where the story is headed because, uh, you know, I've been cooking for myself, guys, like I was back in college, but it's been a couple of years, so I'm a little rusty in the kitchen. Wouldn't say everything I make is perfectly cooked, and or it's sometimes <laughs> there can be some unique combinations of food and whatnot, but overall I do okay. But like I said, we're, we're just getting back into the swing of things. And uh, I want to say it was last Wednesday or Thursday, you know, I finished up my dinner, did my little uh, post-dinner routine, if you will, don't want to get into further detail. And then I ended up in a predicament where uh, a toilet plunger was needed. And I'm looking throughout the house and the closets, and I'm like, I don't think I purchased a toilet plunger for this place. So that's never a position you want to be in, you know what I mean? Oh, no. And the town, we, the town we're in, the city, the little small town we're in, uh, doesn't really have like a, a hardware store in the downtown area or a large grocery store. So I'm thinking we're in trouble. I'm like probably a 30-minute round trip from the nearest place that might have one and so i had to swallow my pride we have one little tiny market downtown whitmore lake michigan and i call this place (laughs) i'm like hi do you guys happen to carry toilet plunge there's only one there's only one reason you make that call jack there's only one reason yeah oh yeah and the guy's like let me check for you and you know the phone gets set down 30 seconds go by and he goes, uh, you're in luck. We got one more in stock. And I was like, perfect. See you soon. Hung up the phone within five minutes. I'm walking in that door and everyone in that tiny store is just staring daggers at me. And I walk straight to the back, grab the toilet plunger and ring it up. And <laughs> I mean, there's, you gotta just laugh it off, right? There's nothing you can do about it. You gotta do it's what you little, gotta do. It's a little bit embarrassing. I mean, it's kind of funny. I was laughing like while I was checking out. He's like, "Did you find everything That's okay?" Hilarious. And I was like, "Yep." Yeah, as you can see, I was the one who called. That's but, hilarious. I thought you were gonna say like, you know, 
forgot some like we forgot these forgot some trash bags or like laundry detergent or like stuff that you just always kind of have your parents always just mm-hmm. have you never are really thinking about it and <laughs> plunger dude it was funny oh, too that's because so uh, funny I you, was, you only make that call for one reason only one uh, reason it, only one reason i mean there's only one real use for a toilet plunger <laughs> yes that's correct um i was kind of documenting this this journey my little half hour of of fun uh on snapchat to all my close buddies and i remember when i got to the store and grabbed the toilet plunger um it was only you know it wasn't like a high quality plunger by any means but it was a plunger and it was like 5.99 and it, on the little tag it like had the brand name it said toilet plunger and it was like it, it said so, i can't remember the exact words it was something like extremely reliable and i was like well we're gonna see about that fellas aren't we <laughs> and my friends are like for six bucks how reliable can it be but uh <laughs> we're gonna find let's, out let's real say, soon <laughs> let's just say i didn't have to run any more errands that night and um it was a success so it was a happy ending to a bit of a stressful and embarrassing story but had to share so i i take it that was that was your doing that that we don't need to get into the specifics needed. i'd say yeah, we don't need to get into detail but um typically yeah when when the one who goes to the store is typically the one who got themselves into the trouble in the first place right so right um other so uh, other than other than that little mishap how have uh obviously you and kyle have been friends for you know literally ever but uh, (laughs) literally it's not it doesn't always you know uh it doesn't always like translate to you know, being friends with someone doesn't necessarily make them like a great roommate. Like, uh, have you guys been doing a good job living together? Are there any, you know, weird habits that you guys are <laughs> learning about each other maybe uh, as you're going through this process? Um, I don't think so. Uh, well, maybe we should need to get Kyle on the microphone now at some point so he can <laughs> reveal about myself. Yeah. Me, I'd say if I'm talking about myself, weird habits that I would have that might throw someone off. Um, like I do go to bed kind of early unapologetically, mm-hmm. like even on the weekend sometimes, like if we're staying in, I'm not one to just like stay up late and hang out. Cause I feel like it just throws off my whole sleep schedule for the week too. So like if I'm at home, not going out, not doing anything, I'm still usually in bed like prior to midnight. So I could, and Kyle's a night owl. So I could see him being a little confused slash frustrated by that. But the same way I'm confused yeah. when like I'm asleep and then I hear like Kyle up and stirring around at three fifteen in the morning and I'm like, what is going on? But so that's one thing that differs in our habits for sure. Um, besides that, I am a, I'm a candle guy. I'm always self-conscious that like after I cook, like the house, especially in a small house like this, the house will like smell like my dinner and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I, like if we're having guests coming over, I always want to keep the house smelling fresh. You know, you don't want to have a stinky house. So I yeah. do kind of have a candle going 24-7. So that's one, I guess, kind of interesting habit. But habits I've seen from Kyle, nothing that's uh, nothing that's throwing me off too much, I don't think. Like I said, we've been friends forever, so you kind of know what you're getting into. I know it's. Yeah. I know that can be different. Like some people, yes, are friends, and it doesn't translate well. You're like, what the heck? Why does this person do this? Right. But, I mean, I've been around Kyle and his family for literally decades, so I kind of right. knew uh, what to expect. And he probably thought the same for me. Uh, who knows? Yeah. And for just, I mean, again, like from a from a business standpoint, it only makes sense for you guys to be work. You know, you already work so closely. You might as well uh be doing it you know at all times living right next you know door to door to each other but i do really like the idea of just having someone 24 7 at the helm for mlw Mm -hmm. awake like it's it's (laughs) i guess that kind of works out 
you know what I'm saying? It's like there's there's almost there's probably not an hour during the day that one of you guys that both you guys are asleep because yeah, he's few, just such a night owl. Yeah, one or two hours. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we all kind of know that MLW is like on the tipping point of like really being something. So that's when you mm-hmm. got to take the extra steps and do whatever you can to make it happen. And it seemed like living together and really making the business our lives. Um, sure, it's going to be long days sometimes and frustrating days, but hopefully that pays dividends in the future. So we're all in. You only got so you only got such a big window of opportunity to make things happen. You got to capitalize on those things. So that's what we're trying to accomplish here. True that. But we're definitely doing what we can to like maximize our square footage here. Once again, not a big house. But you guys will see, I'll give you a little inside scoop here. Um, in the upcoming video you're going to see on the MLW channel, um, you're going to see some different sets, some different stages, I guess. But sets is the proper term. And uh, they were, I was all done in this house, kind of in our living room. Our living room transformed three different times in the last three days into, into three different little sets. So that was all done here. You guys probably saw on TikTok or Instagram our living room on the Thursday that March Madness began. Did you see that, Jack, when we had the, the quadruple monitor set up going? I, I didn't see the TikTok. I did see some some form of content on it. It was I the same where. It was the same clip, probably Instagram. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for the, for the record, was that just set up for a TikTok, kind of? But did I also leave it up for the remainder of the day to enjoy the games? Of course I did. So yes. our living room doesn't always look like that, but it was pretty cool. We had, so, Jack, we had two TVs. We had a 65-inch and a 45-inch, both live on the game and then we had my gaming monitor live on the third game and then i had my laptop with the fourth game so uh, love it we had it all set up we had our we had some some chips some beverages a couple a couple chairs here and we just enjoyed enjoyed a thursday it was a good time there's nothing else like it man i threw on my gym really jersey <laughs> legend legendary absolutely the, the the tournament has already uh i mean I, I take it, you know, most of you guys have been watching or, or at least seeing some of the content, but I mean, it's already living up to the March Madness name. We had a uh, second time in history, a 16 seed beating a one seed, uh, fairly Dickinson over Purdue shout out NEC conference. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a huge win for them. Massive win. Um, I actually, I, I didn't realize this. I heard this after, but uh, Merrimack actually won the nec and because of their uh uh non-compete clause because of their newness to the nec um i believe they only came over like two or three years ago so there's like a four-year window where they can't compete in um like postseason play and so fairly dickinson was actually second in the nec and ends up winning their playing game and then knocking off Purdue, which is such a crazy story. But I did not know um, that. Yeah. So I mean, they weren't even. I mean, obviously they, you know, deserve deserve to be there, and they won the game. But like, they didn't. They didn't even win their conference technically, which is pretty incredible. Well, but well, that's kind of the conversation I wanted to have with you about this, Jack, because yeah. like you said, yeah, that's a wild upset, and there's been many wild upsets. Princeton is now in the Sweet 16 too. You know, yep. one of the you could say they're one of the best 16 teams in the country now, and. Mm-hmm. Kyle and I were talking about this after Purdue lost about how like is March Madness is I think unbiasedly hands down the most exciting NCAA postseason maybe even yeah. any postseason in sports right I mean it's incredible people people of all different backgrounds sports fans are not are usually tuning into this in some degree because of how big like bracket making a bracket is and how popular that is 
But is it really the best way to go about crowning a national champion, do you think? Or do you think it's more about just, like, giving the trophy to someone who's hot at the right time? Um, I mean, in terms of, like, is, you know, is the, the team that wins the March Madness tournament the best college basketball team that year, every single year? Absolutely not. I mean, that's just, that's not how... That's just that's just not how it works. Like you have to you have to get, you know, some lucky breaks. You gotta get hot at the right time. You gotta have your opponents, you know, get cold at the right time, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, a lot of things have to go your way for you to win that tournament. I think like, you know, if you were to ha- run sort of like a simulation and play like a hundred games like the team with the best record would obviously be considered like the best team but that's not what makes march madness exciting right it's the the idea that on any given day literally anything can happen a 16 seed can beat a one seed if that one seed doesn't show up ready to play which is what makes that tournament so exciting and cool but in terms of like you know really crowning like the best team in college basketball I don't think the winner is always necessarily the best team in college basketball. They just kind of had the best outcome in the tournament, which, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously so many storylines build up and so incredible to watch. But what do you think, Tommy? Um, I mean, like I said, since Kyle brought this topic up, I've been thinking about it a lot. And it was funny because I remember we also got comments about the MLW postseason, how like the regular season doesn't matter so much because six teams make it. And all that kind of stuff, but I still think in both cases, you know, college basketball and MLW, I feel like usually the all-around best team is crowned. Like you said, some teams get hot at the right time or cold at the wrong time. So I wouldn't say mm-hmm. the most talented team always wins, but the buzzword that I continuously was using throughout the offseason when I was talking about the Mallards and why we didn't win or make it to the World Series was because we didn't execute. And I feel like the best teams, the championship caliber teams, always find ways to get it done when they need to in these clutch games, and they execute and they make it happen. So the best teams in college basketball, I think, are the best teams in MLW, even on their worst days, need to be able to grind it out and find a way to win. And if you look back at March Madness, at least I know in the last five years or so, I think a one seed's won like five out of the last six tournaments. So, you know, it's not a coincidence, of course. So those teams are ranked that high for a reason. Yes, they do get upset mm-hmm. and they have bad days, but I think those championship teams are just the ones, the ones that end up winning it all are the ones that can perform when it matters the most. You know what I mean? But hypothetically, let's say that, you know, let's say that Princeton goes on and, and they win the national championship. Was In your <laughs> mind, Princeton was the best basketball team well, in the 2023 we season? Can, we can have that conversation, Jack, when Princeton raises the trophy. Because I don't yeah. think it will happen. I haven't really I watched... Know. What's the highest seed that's ever won? Ever won, I want to say. I'm going to totally get this wrong. UConn with Kemba Walker was fairly high. It might have been like an eight seed when they won, seven or eight. Um, There's been an eight seed in the finals when Butler, I think, was an eight seed. There's been 11 seeds in the final four multiple times. But to ever win, are you Googling it right now? Yeah. What are you getting? I'm trying. Um, I want to say eight's my guess, but... Usually, like I said, I feel like the best team is usually the one that ends up winning. All around. Yeah. I know there's teams that have the championship potential that get upset early, but like I said, if, if they're going to 
go out there and lay an egg against a, a 16 seed or a 15 seed, a team who played against worst competition all year. And I just don't think that they were good enough to be national champs anyway. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I definitely think that um, like if you go out there and, and you get upset like that, that's that sh- that says enough about your team. Like that says that you probably, you know, you didn't deserve to win the national championship anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there's just like a ton of variables, in, especially in, in basketball, too, because like football, yeah. for example, like it's such a physical sport. That if right. you're just physically um, more of a high caliber team than your opponent, it's tough yeah. to. It's like the upset odds are so much lower than a basketball game where, like, if you're right. a great team, like, say you're. I know this isn't the case for Purdue. They're pretty good inside for the most part, but say Purdue is a great outside shooting team and they just have a horrible outside shooting day. That opens the window for the upset to occur more so than football. Right. Where it's like, okay, if you're. You can't just, like, out muscle an offensive line where the average guy is 30 pounds heavier than its opponent. You know what I mean? So right. basketball definitely allows for that to happen, but I think that chaos and that madness is what allows it to be successful within the masses of the people. And I think that's why our postseason is so exciting too, because anything can happen and you got to really execute on any, any given day. Baseball is the same way though. The yeah. Phillies weren't that great of a team this year and they made the run to the world series too. So um, that's true. It's just part of winning a championship. You got to be able to to capitalize when you need to. Got to get hot at the right time. Got to get hot. Uh, you you were right, by the way. It was an eight seed. Um, the 1985 Villanova Wildcats. Okay. Um, cool. they, they won over number one Georgetown. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, interesting conversation. Um, can't wait to see what happens next, honestly. I know. I'm excited. And the Spartans are still be, in. I, I appreciate yeah. all the DMs I got from MLW fans about the dogs. Spartan dogs yeah. making the Sweet 16, so we're excited to watch them on Thursday. But Huge. let's get Dallas Allen in here right now. All righty, at this time, please give a warm round of applause to Eagles star pitcher Dallas Allen. How are we doing, brother? Pretty good, Jack. How are you? Doing well. Living the dream. Usually, <laughs> that's usually code for not doing that great, to be honest. <laughs> no i am doing great <laughs> uh, whenever i give someone that living the dream it usually means i'm miserable <laughs> i meant it sincerely okay good good welcome dallas uh we we saw online here you're pretty fresh off what seemed like a pretty successful bowling season uh this past year you want to cue in our listeners on you know how you finished and uh how the season ended yeah, so uh, my bowling team, we finished second in the league. It's been kind of a couple of years of not getting through to winning a league championship, but finishing second, still pretty good in our league. But I ended up as an individual making it to state and coming in ninth out of 96 bowlers that were there and making second team all Ohio. So that was a very good finish for me uh, at state. And I think it's 662 for three games. That's elite. Nice elite numbers yeah i'm very happy with my performance but you also play obviously you're a very serious baseball player and a wiffle ball player too so i want to know what is it about bowling that you like really enjoy and love and, and why do you uh make time to do it every year and you put a lot into it it seems like you're pretty good yeah uh i have to give that to my dad my dad's been bowling for so long he bowled in college at uh, central michigan Fire and chips i've been uh bowling since i was like five because he got me into it bowling league bowling adult, adult youth leagues with him so that's what really got me into it i've always just stuck with it that's cool you think you'd want to maybe pursue that in college at all 
Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out in college what I want to do. I am um, looking to uh, major in engineering, but for sports-wise now, um, right now it's either bowling or baseball for sure, but I'm still looking into that. I'll tell you what, I had a teammate um, on my travel team for a couple of years, and he went to a smaller school in Michigan, Rochester University, and he bowled and played baseball. <laughs> did he? he did both, yeah. Smaller school, but like I said, uh, he did both, so not saying you couldn't do the same. Um, yeah. But that's cool. Another thing we wanted to touch on, Dallas, so I think bowling was your most recent Instagram post, but then prior to that, you had a pretty uh, personal post and a very uh, vulnerable post when you talked a lot, little bit about your health and fitness journey you've had over the last several months of your life, and um, you, know, you lost a lot of weight. You really have taken it a step. You're taking your health and fitness more seriously. I think it's pretty obvious, and you shared a little bit of insight as to what that's been like to all your Instagram followers, and it was a really well-written and thought-out caption, and, and I was like... I, I counted. I was like, I feel like a proud dad right now. This is so cool to see. <laughs> but I want to know just, um, first off, congratulations um, on all your progress. It's awesome. But what really inspired you to uh, to make that change? So I was kind of like sitting after like golf season. I was kind of just like kind of figuring out life, I guess to say. And I was just at a point where I just kept feeling like sluggish with myself and stuff like that. And I was like, I need to change. Like, I just need to lose some weight and try and get my energy levels up because my energy was a little down. And I just felt like it was the best thing for me. So I started asking a couple people around that I knew had been on the same journey that I went through and how, what is the best way to lose weight, basically. So what I did was just ran on the treadmill every day because I started doing this in October and obviously in Ohio, it's cold. Mm -hmm. So I basically went at a calorie deficit for the next five months. And so just eating less. And then I was doing, I was running a 5k every day. Dang. And when you do this, you have to cut out basically everything, all sugar, try and cut out as many carbs as you can. But basically I just tried to stay at like around like 1500 calories a day, just staying low. And it turned out it works. <laughs> and then I lost, uh, 71 pounds in roughly, uh, four or five months, something like that. Uh, we gotta, we gotta get you on like an infomercial or something. That is, those are insane numbers. That's, it's so impressive and cool to see. Do you, you, I gotta, I gotta imagine you feel like amazing right now compared to what you were feeling. I, my energy is so much better than it used to be. And I just, I just feel so much more healthier. Yeah. So, so right now you do feel overall better than before. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, was that always the case though? Or was there some miserable days along the way here? Because I oh, mean, my. it's not easy. That's a big deficit. I can tell you right now I'm eating way more than 1500 calories a day. Yeah. And trust me, nowadays I now I still I definitely eat more. But yeah, some days you just you I had to get through it. It sucked, but I was so committed to getting to work to getting to my goal, especially before baseball season coming up, because that's my most active sport. So I was so committed to get to my goals and it just it's a tough path, but I just had to get through it. Yeah. If if there's someone out there listening who is thinking about making a similar transition, um I know Jack and I have kind of advocated for trying to get active and, and getting in the gym and that kind of thing, but it's a lot easier said than done. And I think mm-hmm. um, seeing you do it so recently and being so vulnerable about it, um, what would you say to those people who are maybe on the fence as to as to what it was like and, and what the reward's like? 
I would say two things. One, set a goal. If you don't have a goal, you don't have nothing to work for. And number two is never give up. Even if like, so sometimes I'll have days where I feel like I did really good, like eating wise and health wise and like exercise. And I would, my, the number on the scale would go up, but even if it goes up, don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you're doing and the results will, will eventually come. It's crazy. Congratulations again, dude. That's very impressive, man. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. It's not easy. I can't imagine. I've never had to go through something of that degree in terms of transforming my body. Um, I always grew up, I was on the opposite side of the spectrum as to where like I was too skinny, you know what I mean? So it was like, eat as much as you possibly can. And I love that. (laughs) Who doesn't love to eat? But going on the calorie deficit thing is definitely, uh, it's tough. So I commend you for that. But let's bring it back now to some whiffs. Um, I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about last season. It's cool with you. Um, On this podcast, you were not on the call, but I did pretty transparently speak about my opinion on the NLDS. And I talked about how when you went out there and you guys were rolling along, and I think you may have made like one just physical error that kind of seemed to derail you on the mound in that series against the D-backs. And, you know, I, I expressed like I felt bad for you because I've, I've been there and I've, I've had moments like that in my career too in wiffle ball and baseball and stuff like that. So just looking back at it now, um, how do you assess that series? What do you potentially regret about that series anything you wish you could do differently um where's your mind at now yeah so with with all my sports golf i play golf baseball bowling and then wolf football all of them there's at some point it's always a mental game and and in that series i think it was i was rolling through the first four innings on the mound pitching against the d-backs and i went into inning two and i was and i had some control issues well once my brain like gets to a point where I feel like I can't do it. I just shut down. I think that's what happened in that second inning was that my confidence just shot so down and it kind of threw off the rest of the day for me. So one thing I've been working on in sports is that if something bad happens, I cannot let that affect me for the future events that's going to happen into a game because I can still come back and figure it out instead of putting my head down and, then obviously like in the NLDS losing the next game. But if I would have kept my head up in game three, then we could have potentially made it to the NLCS. So basically it's, it's more of a mental game for me preparing for next season and other sports as well. Mm -hmm. So you think kind of, you know, if you're put in a similar situation, uh, you know, in this 2023 season, you feel, it sounds like you feel a lot more well-equipped to kind of deal with that situation. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, um, especially like in bowling, like if I throw a bad shot and like say I leave a split or something like previously, I might've, that might've affected the rest of my game. But now I've kind of, kind of got to a point where I'm like, it's all right. Just take it to the next frame. Don't worry about it. It's in the past. Like there's nothing you can do about it. So just focus on the next, the next thing. Yeah. It's always, always the next shot, the next pitch, right? Yeah, it's always the most important stone rolled is the next stone Dallas on the, on the lanes out there. I promise we will keep talking wiffle ball, but we we went back to the bowling for a second. I had a question <laughs> on it um, because uh, for someone I actually really like bowling a lot. I just haven't done it a ton and I'm not very good, um, but I, I really enjoy doing it. So if you could kind of give uh, an amateur bowler who who doesn't have a ton of experience like one one sort of crucial tip to be successful in bowling other than obviously the 
the mental side of it, uh, what would that tip be? So this is kind of, I'm going to go back to my first bowling practice that I had this year. Cause we have always have, like I'm a junior in high school and we always have freshmen coming in. So this freshman w- was really struggling. And I was like, let me ask you something. What are you looking at? And he's like, I'm looking at the head pin. I'm like, don't do that. Whenever you're bowling, you should never look at the pins because you need to look at the arrows. There's arrows in front. There's seven arrows. Yep. Always look at the arrows because if you try to hit a spot, it'll be much easier to hit the pins other than looking at the pins. It's just the it kind of just the rule in bowling. Like whenever I'm bowling, I'm always looking at first arrow, second arrow, third arrow instead of looking at the head pin or the the pins on the right or whatever. Gotcha. Perfect. I always look at the arrows. Noted. I think I do that, but I, I'm also not a very disciplined bowler, so I could see myself occasionally losing my focus. I think I also have done that, or I, or I kind of learned that slowly that the arrows are probably there <laughs> for a reason, um, and then I still end up just whipping it in the gutter. <laughs> Jack needs bumpers. <laughs> yeah, you, know what you need Jack. Yeah. You need one of those things that um, that uh, where you just push it down the little silver. Yeah, that would be great. I've used those that at times great. when I'm really yeah. struggling. Sometimes you got to break those out for sure. Yeah, yeah, th- that would be a specific rule just for me. I'm allowed <laughs> to bowl with that, um, but. Uh, speaking of speaking of rules and rule changes, um, when when MLW sort of implemented this new rule about having to bat at least four players in the lineup, uh, I think Tom and I talked about it, and I and I know some of the fans, you know, a lot of the, a lot of their minds immediately went to the Eagles um, because of you know the 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 deep lineups that you guys batted last year. Do you think that this rule change? Um, is going to favor you guys a lot over some of the other teams? Uh, yeah, because me, the we have an Eagle group chat. We were talking about this. So we always have to face like, so we always bet at five because we have, in, in my opinion, we have the most depth in the league, uh, like us and maybe the Cobras. But you've got teams like the D-backs and the Predators who have been batting three for the last couple of years. And now they're kind of transitioning to batting four where – we might have been pitching around Jimmy or Ryan or something like that. And now Jimmy has to add a fourth guy. And I'm not throwing any shade at Casey or Trey because obviously they're in MLW for a reason. They can, they, they can play football. Yeah. But it might be a little easier for now for me and Dan on the mound. And plus, hitting-wise, it doesn't really affect us as much since we, we bat in five anyway. So part, part, of, that, part of that depth was um... – was Blade Walker. He he was a big piece for you guys last year, but we didn't get to see him for the full year due to some injuries. He was banged up. I know he had a shoulder problem. Uh, can we can we expect to see Blade uh, and his all of his raw energy for all of 2023? Here's what I call Blade. I call Blade the Christian McCaffrey of high school. This kid <laughs> for every year. Um, Blade just got hurt <laughs> in basketball. He hurt his ankle, but he's okay. Oh he's no. Okay. He is okay. I as long as he doesn't get hurt again, we will see Blade for the entire season. But uh, yeah, that's what we call Blade. But uh, I think we will see Blade for the for the entire season. Okay. Blade Blade might Blade might have just earned the na- nickname Paper Boy. Paper Boy. Paper. Hearing, yeah. Pa- he has uh, what is it? SpongeBob glass bones and paper skin. Yeah. <laughs> every morning he breaks his arms, and every night he breaks his legs. Um, but yeah, Blade, he was out early in the season last year, and, and he did play throughout the second half, if, I remember, if my memory serves me correct. 
but he was never fully healthy. You know, I, I don't even think that uh, his doctors were recommending that, but it was something that he really wanted to do because it's just, it's just wiffle ball, right? It's only wiffle ball until something bad happens. But um, so, yeah, I expect him, based on that update, to be better given that Mr. Glass, Bones, and Paper Skin doesn't have any more injuries. Um, but that'd be big. So that'd be your full five at full strength. Plus, guys, the Eagles also have a draft pick. And I've heard some rumors. I think I know who they're going after. I'm not going to spoil it here. But um, that would be another piece that could be of value to them. And now you can only bat five is the maximum. So if they were to add a sixth piece, a guy with a bat, um, then that would come down to Daniel Schultz and the, and the management team over there for the Eastern Eagles as to who's going to sit and who's going to play. So I don't know if there'll be some in-squad competition. If he's going to make the rookie sit out mostly. I don't really know yet. I guess time will tell. Um, Dallas, have those conversations began at all internally? Um, yeah, a little bit. I don't want to spoil too much. So, okay. so. Mm. stay tuned for that. Yes. Good to know that Dan's being proactive about it though. I think we can all agree that, you know, especially w- with what they had, with what the Eagles had last year, adding another draft pick, uh, it would tough to, it would be tough to argue against the fact that they're one of the deepest teams in the league. Um, some people are asking though, is there a problem with being too deep? I mean, that's the question, Jack, that comes with the 2024 and beyond change with the opt-in out-doubt draft, right? Right. So yeah, I guess right now there is teams that are, in terms of sheer numbers, they are as deep as the Eagles on paper in terms of their roster size, but no one has utilized the amount of talent that the Eagles have yet. So um, in terms of being too deep, yes, you could say the Eagles are now going to have a sixth guy and be like, they're going to have more talent than they actually need. But I think there's got to be, it's just like you look at the NFL and NHL, the NBA. I mean, there's new talent coming up year after year after year. And sometimes you got to make tough decisions as to who's going to play and who's going to sit. Um, I was faced with that decision too, with guys like Dabrico and McPeak and that kind of thing. And uh, it's part of the game. You got to, you got to do what you can as a manager to win some games, whether it's going to hurt feelings or not. Agreed. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how Mr. Dan Schultz manages that that roster. Uh, we haven't heard from Dan in a little bit. I think I gave him a last second pod invite last week, which he declined per usual. But uh, I, I got to see that kid soon. He needs to sign a ball for me. But anyways, we'll see what Dan does. And uh, we'll talk about that when the time comes, I suppose. But uh, Dallas, I also wanted to ask you because you've been such an advocate for the MLW tournaments uh, over the years since you've joined MLW. Um, I think I had you on after the Texas Rumble tournament. You talked about playing with Josh Young and how cool that was, and um, that was a good conversation. And uh, now here we are a couple months later, and we have another one right around the corner, our fourth annual Midwest Slugfest on April 15th and 16th. Uh, teams have begun signing up for that, and we're, we're, we're hoping to see a lot of guys out there again, both newcomers and pastime players. And if you didn't see Dallas, um, do you follow the Pipe It Up account on Instagram? I do. Did you notice the uh, little cameo you had recently in the in the clip when I was talking about young fans? I, uh, <laughs> if you guys didn't, go ahead. The red red jersey. Yes, they do. Yes, Dallas and the red jersey. What was your team name back then? We were we were uh, we were the Bulldogs that year. The Dogs, I love it. But yeah, um, I posted a clip that was uh, part of Jack and I's discussion about inspiring young fans to do cool things. And when I was making that clip and trying to think about particular people that I've met over the years. Um, and fans that I wanted to include in this this little 15-second video, I was like, I think there's a clip of young Dallas somewhere out there who I'd love to include because I've seen Dallas grow up, so I found it, the 2018 uh, Wiffle in the Mitten. 
And uh, so, yeah, that was Dallas's like first ever appearance in MLW video. It was five years ago now, which is crazy. If I'm not mistaken. It's and crazy. That is wild. <laughs> so how, how old were you then? Uh, I was 12. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. And I, and I was only, what was I? It's like 19. Dang, time flies. But anyways, with that being your first tournament, looking at that footage and just seeing me and you do the interview, it was funny. So uh, for those people that are thinking about signing up, maybe have never been out, um, what was your first tournament experience like in MLW? And uh, why would you recommend other people come out and give it a shot too? Um, the, the, the best part was being young and being 12 years old and talking to my parents. And I was like, hey, mom and dad, there's this, there's this wiffle ball tournament in Brighton, Michigan I want to go play. And they're like, there's a What? And I was like, yeah, it's like a legit thing. And they're like, all right, let's do it. So they drive up and we're at, uh, it was Scranton Middle School, I think is what it was. Uh, was Hawkins Elementary. Hawkins Elementary, yeah. So uh, Hawkins Elementary and I we got there and we were playing games. I'm like, this is this is awesome. Like, I'd love to do this again. And the experience is awesome. You get to meet the, when I was there. I, got, I met I met some of the main guys. I met Noah Noah Dabrico. I met you, Tom. I met Kyle. I think that might have been it. I could be wrong, but the experience was awesome, and I knew I wanted to come back next year. And obviously, in 2019 and building up through the years, it's gotten so much bigger than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Being, there was only four teams in our division, but still, I was very sad. I lost. Uh, my semifinal game to go to the Meadows for the championship. We're not going to talk about that. Well, you made it to the Meadows eventually, didn't you? I this did. You I did. W Jersey. Um, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Time flies. So you had four teams in your age division, and I wonder yep. what that was the thirteen to fifteen, or what were you playing at the time? Uh, it was. Uh, it was when there was ten to fourteen. Okay, ten to fourteen. We couldn't even fill up three divisions. We had to do two, and now we see it with on the mitten like twenty plus in the ten to twelve, and twenty plus in the thirteen to fifteen, and then twenty plus in the the 16 plus that's wild it's funny hearing you talking like, like thinking back at it now um mm-hmm. like telling your dad it's a legit thing blah 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 like that tournament <laughs> was so um i guess like bootlegged as for the a lack of a better term give you some insight dallas the reason that came together we wanted to do the tournament and that's when i was working grounds crew for like for writing both travel baseball and recreational baseball so like i was in charge of overseeing the fields and yeah i had a boss um, but it was like my former coach and we were in good terms and stuff like that. And we wanted to make this thing happen. So like a month prior, I like just sent him a casual text like, hey, my buddies and I want to host a wiffle ball tournament on this field on this weekend. I was like, is that possible if I can uh, like unlock the gator and get the fields ready and that kind of stuff? And he's like, sure, no problem. And I was like, okay, guys, we're in. We got this. We got the field. <laughs> and then I remember my coach coming out like that day. I forget why he was there. He might have just came to check it out or something. But he, so my boss comes out and like sees the teams and the field set up and playing. He's like, like, wow, this is like pretty legit tournament you got going on. He's like, and this all your friends? I was like, some of my friends, some kids signed up, blah, blah, blah. And I think he was a little bit thrown off. Like, oh, he's like running a full scale tournament right now. But um, once again, I, w- I wasn't, uh, if I thought I was doing anything destructive, I wouldn't have done it, but we took care of everything. And uh, I remember too, there was a, there was some miscommunication there too because I had all the schedules for all the teams. But I remember a softball team showed up and uh, like it looked like they wanted to practice on the tournament field. And they're like, what's going on here? And I'm like, oh, we got this reserve for a <laughs> football tournament. And I sent them to a different field. 
<laughs> but dude, just like moving into this house, it's just doing whatever it takes to make it happen. And that was just one of those other rung on the ladder right there was the first whiffle in the mitten. So that's awesome. Dallas, awesome. nerve wracking, but awesome. Yeah. You, uh, you're, you're in a unique spot. Like you're a unique player in the league that has, you know, been able to be a part, be, be a fan, be a part of the tournaments, uh, be welcomed into the league and perform really well. So now you're kind of on the, the opposite side. Like you're either playing as a MLW player in these tournaments or you're, you know, kind of working them and you've been a part of a, of a, a fair amount of them, which one has been the most memorable for you either as from a, from a player or, you know, from a player pre MLW or post MLW do any sort of stick out in your mind? Um, definitely the Wiffle in the Mint in 2020. Um, I'd been, I'd attended 2018, 2019, and I thought I had a good chance of winning both, but finally 2020, we went on a great run, went six and zero, won that tournament. And then the next year I got drafted in the MLWs. As has a tournament in my heart because that was a tournament that we won and it got me into MLW. So I would definitely say the 2020 with Holman Man is one I remember. I think I recall a young Dallas Allen sporting a maroon U-Triple-S-A All-American jersey alongside Blade Walker and somebody else. And uh, I remember, I think you guys were playing against a team in light blue, PWL, in the final. And I think it went to extras. Is that correct? Yes, the the game went into six innings. It went to six innings. And I think at one point, you guys scraped a run across like via a walk. So you got the one-run lead in the top half. And then I think Dallas had a granny, and that just blew it open. (laughs) Is that what happened? Uh, It was something like that. I know we scored four runs in the top of the sixth. And then Blade came in and chucked gas, if I recall. <laughs> he really was. I, I was umpiring this game. That's why I remember it so vividly. But I don't remember all games I ump that well. But for some reason, that one does stick in my mind just because it was Dallas and Blade, and they were kind of guys on our radar. And it was a battle. We've had a lot of battles over the years, a lot of iconic games that just get um, that kind of get lost in the sauce of the tournament. But there's a lot of intense matchups. That same tournament in the semifinal, we played a team called the Bay City Bonecrackers with... Uh, mm. Gaitis and Trey Flood. Yep. So there was a lot there's a lot of former players that you see playing in these tournaments. For sure, for sure. It's cool to look back on. Was that tournament with Blade throwing so hard the the cause of his paper shoulder giving out? <laughs> I, I, I mean he got hurt way later, but it could be. I have no, I have no idea. It, de- it definitely isn't helping, Jack. It's definitely Just not curious. helping his cause. Just curious. Uh, Blade's a goofball. But Thanks for joining us, Dallas. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been good catching up with you today. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing the Eagles out there this year. I know uh, I wasn't too happy with the outcome the last time you and I played in the regular season when you guys swept us. So I'm looking forward to getting another crack at you. And, uh, you didn't like that? No, I didn't. wasn't a fan of it personally, no. Um, not not from my corner. But uh, once again, I'm looking for, I always look forward to taking on Dirty Dan. But now Dirty Dan is a pretty darn good counterpart in yourself. So uh, the matchup's definitely evolved over the years, but I, I still enjoy it, and I'm looking for some revenge. I'm, an- I'm anxiously waiting for the season to start. I'm ready, I'm ready to go. Aren't we all? A um, couple other housekeeping things, guys. I will say that there, our little pod area in the basement of our house is still in progress. Um, I don't want to make any promises, but we're definitely we're having some serious conversations now about going to the video thing every week. So... Um, continue to support us. We're going to try to make that happen. 
it probably won't be as high quality as like the uh, we got ice podcast was with the video with the multi camera angles and that kind of thing. It might start off more basic with just kind of a one camera setup. And then when we have on big guests, that's when we're going to move into more of the professional setup. And then eventually we should be on the full-time professional setup. So that's what we're working towards right now. And we'll keep you guys posted on that journey. But besides that, um, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Appreciate it. Dallas, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Dallas. Jack, always a pleasure, my man. Always. Always. And just like that, that's pod 140 in the books. Chris Cheatham dips his cheese curds in caramel. And we'll see you guys next time. Pipe it up, pipe it up, pipe it up, pipe it up, pipe it up.